Good morning, my friend. I hope you're doing well. It is Saturday, and I'm really excited for another edition of Everyday Hope. You know, Lisa had this great idea to talk to folks that you've never met or heard of, probably, who have just great stories of things they've been through. Some of these things are, you know, devastating things like the the Margaret's losing a son. Some are um, young young people who have encountered difficulties along their chosen path and how they overcame them and, and bumps and obstacles along the way. Others are going to be other people that have remarkable stories in one way or the other. And today's guest is a really exciting young lady, Maylin Dye. Maylin is a proud Tennessean. She graduated recently from Samford University. That's not Stanford in in California. It's Samford, S-A-M as in Mary, F-O-R-D. That's a private school in Alabama, and we knew about it when we lived there. Samford is a great school. She's a recent graduate of Samford. She's passionate about her family, growing in her faith, running and building relationships with people. Malin is beginning medical school in the fall at Quillen College of Medicine in Tennessee, um, we've covered uh, some of the same ground uh, over our lives in that we both know and love Jay Wellens, who is a pediatric neurosurgeon, and you'll hear how his story intersects with hers, uh, and you've heard him on the podcast before. Jay wrote a beautiful memoir of pediatric neurosurgery called All That Moves Us, and he was a guest on the show a while back. I'll bring him back someday, hopefully, to talk with you again. Uh, but Maylan has a great story. She first reached out to me and Lisa when she was in the eighth grade after she had uh, randomly, supposedly, run across uh, my book, No Place to Hide. I don't know why a seventh grader was seventh and eighth grader were reading neurosurgery books, but she was called to read these books and, and uh, ultimately felt she should reach out to me and uh, Lisa and decided after reading my book that she wanted to go to medical school, among other things. And so, long story short, we've followed her and kept up with her over the years and now excited that she's going to be going to medical school. But she has a great story, and it's one of fighting for hope, moving towards hope, holding on to hope, never giving up. She's got some great advice for you. It's encouraging to see a young person who loves the Lord so much and who's got such a good handle on big questions in life and holding on to faith despite things that hurt. And you're going to be inspired. There's so much in the media and we see so much all the time. We think these younger generations are having all kinds of trouble, but I'm telling you, there's great hope in the kingdom of God. And there's no greater place to start seeing it than in the person of this incredible young woman, Maylin Dye. I'm very excited to meet, uh, introduce you to her today. And she's a great example of how you can't change your life until you change your mind. And you can always start today. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is you can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you'd like the show. 
please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. Well, friend, we're back, and I'm so excited to introduce you to a new friend today. Um, I've known this young lady uh, by email only for several years now, but now we get the chance to see each other face-to-face, and I'm excited to introduce her to you. Maylin Dye is here with us from Tennessee. Welcome, Maylin. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It's really a privilege to be on your podcast. Is this the first podcast you've ever been on? Um, a couple, One of my friends actually started a podcast, but... And I was on it back in college, but I guess this is one of my first official podcasts because he okay. was kind of doing it more for school. Now, when you say back in college, give us context for that. When did you finish college? Oh, I finished in April. So I haven't been a recent <laughs> graduate for too long. So some of the listeners, when we say back in college, we mean like 30 years ago. <laughs> like so. <laughs> You're a young person. So, um, Maylin, tell the story just real quickly of how we got connected. It's pretty remarkable. Yes. Yeah, so I grew up in Hendersonville, Tennessee, which is a suburb of Nashville. Yeah. And um, I was in the library one day. Um, it's a library that I grew up going to story time at. And um, your book, No Place to Hide, was just sitting on a little display table. And I do not, I think I was in seventh grade at the time. I do not know what compelled me to pick it up, but I did. And I read it. And um, I just, I was very captivated by your story and um, how you talked about your faith. And I don't know, it, it opened up a whole new world for me. I had never really considered the military or um, medicine. And so I, I thought about it and I just kept thinking about your story. And um, I also grew up in a Christian home. And I would say like up until that point as an eighth grader, I hadn't really endured any hard, hard traumatic events or anything that I could remember. And so anyways, I thought about your story and I decided to reach out to you. So I did. And I was so surprised and excited when you wrote me back because I, you know, I think I had written the president at that time and I hadn't gotten a response, but <laughs> I was thrilled when you wrote me back. And so um, then you started a newsletter and I subscribed to that and read that. And then I've been listening to your podcast, you know, with throughout college and, and high school as well. And then I read your book. I've seen the end of you. And um, that, that was a very impactful book. So, so yeah. And I've, just kind of kept up with you through your various works and writings. And so I guess that's how we, I've been connected. Well, that's amazing. And Lisa and I were talking the other day and we remembered uh, you sent us an email about having gotten into medical school. Congratulations, by the way, uh, Malin's Thank going you. to med school in, uh, in <laughs> Tennessee. What's the name of the school? Um, Quillen college of medicine. That's right. And so that's there in, in Tennessee and, um, she had this long held goal and she's had all this grit and determination and pushed through some things that we'll talk about in a little bit, but we, we met you in the eighth grade and, and, uh, have been conversing back and forth ever since then. So it's just really, it's really cool to see a young person, uh, persevere through all of that and, and make it to med school. So we're excited mm-hmm. to see what happens with you next. Um, and also shout out to, um, Carolyn Sorensen, our friend. Yes. Um, a few months ago, Maylin wrote in and just asked if we knew some Christian women who were also moms 
uh, who might be able to converse with her, mentor her a little bit. And, and uh, Carolyn Sorensen, our friend, the pain specialist here, was gracious enough, and you guys hooked up and have kind of become friends, right? Oh, yeah. She, she's been incredible. She texted me uh, before my interview and has been really a good resource to just follow up and, and kind of ask and be like a sounding board. So, yes, thank you so much for connecting me with her. That's so great. It was Lisa's idea. She was like, hey, Carolyn would be perfect for that. So, and it was great. So, you know, along the way, so one part of your story that you didn't mention is how you got to Tennessee in the first place as a baby. Um, tell us that story because it's also pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was adopted from China and I was 11 months old. Um, it is kind of crazy how I ended up in Tennessee with my parents and there there have been many um crazy connections and details that that only God could have could have set into motion. But um, I just feel like I had a very normal, humble upbringing. My mom was a preschool teacher. My dad is an accountant. And so I'm very, very blessed to have grown up here. Um, I'm not sure exactly what other uh, details (laughs) about, you know, that you're curious about for my upbringing, but well, that's great. Just, uh, just the idea that God brought you all the way from China mm-hmm. to Tennessee and you've grown up and you're going to go to medical school and be a doctor. And does mm-hmm. that, um, does that background, um, have anything in your future? Like, do you have a heart for, for helping people in other countries or, or serving people who came from different places or any of that? I, I definitely do. I growing up, I've never known my family medical history and, you know, when I go to the doctor, that's always a section I always leave blank. And I think that moving forward, I, I, one, I would like to find my birth parents. That's yeah. going to be a very challenging thing to do. But I um, I do have a heart to, like, get to know them and, and share the gospel with them if I can. Um, more than likely with the one child policy, like they're very poor and I don't, I, I genuinely have no earthly idea what the, the yeah. situation was surrounding that, but they were probably wanting a son just because the son is the one who carries on the family name and has a lot more, you know, financial or career opportunities. And so, I mean, there's 150,000 girls who have been adopted out of China. And wow. so um, there's, I want, I want to, from a medical standpoint, I don't know how or who I could get connected with, but just to kind of research the impact of how like these people don't know their family medical history and how does that, from a public health standpoint, how can like medical professionals care for them better in my sister's case. And we can talk about that in a little bit, but her medical condition, you know, is more than likely genetic. And we had no idea. We were just very lucky that we were close to a hospital and a doctor who could take care of her. Um, And then also, I, as a believer, I know that, and and I I think as I'm closer to becoming, or hopefully be having my own family, I just cannot imagine, like, having a child and then, like, dropping them off on a sidewalk or under a train station or something like that. I just, I know that there's so many people in China that their hearts are so hurt and burdened by that. And I don't know if there's a way to like start counseling for them or, you know, just bring them comfort in some way because there there's not, there's like quite a bit of stigma around 
you know, struggles with mental health. And a lot of people are probably still very scared to come forward just because the government could punish them. And so I would say those are my two things that are on my mind constantly. And I'm thinking of ways that I can uh, make an impact in that regard. Yeah, that's amazing. So what's one of the what's one of the hardest things you've been through? You you mentioned earlier your sisters had some struggles medically. So talk unpack that a little bit because that may have had some influence on why you decided to become a physician, right? It did. So I will try to share what I feel like because I mean it is definitely her story. Yeah. Um, but my sister, uh, we were I was still in high school and she I think was in middle school, and so she started having some medical. I mean she's blurry vision, slurred speech, um, tingling in her fingers and toes. And so that kind of sent us, we went to the pediatrician and she's like, well, just to be safe, like we'll refer you to a neurologist and just see. And so we kind of, we went through several different neurologists. And so she was finally diagnosed with Moya Moya syndrome. And so as a result of that, she had a couple major surgeries at, uh, during the summer. And then a couple, six months after that, she had a brain hemorrhage. And I think that was, so when she had the surgery, everything was planned. Like she was very healthy otherwise. And I, I don't know, in my mind, I feel like I had, I felt like everything was under control. Um, it was a major surgery, but I think, and it was scary, but I think we all were like expecting it. We were planning for it. And then when she had the brain hemorrhage, none of us were expecting it. We didn't even know she was having a brain hemorrhage until later because, um, she just kind of like slowly lost consciousness and it was like really late at night when it happened. And so she had her brain hemorrhage. We were, we, she was rushed to the, the emergency room and then she spent a I think like close to three weeks in the PICU. Um, and that looking back, um, cause I was still in high school. My parents were the ones who were like talking with the doctors and nurses. My mom stayed there with, with her 24 seven. And I think oh. in many ways I was, I was not willing and not able to like recognize what was happening. Like, I knew she was sick. I knew it was a very serious situation, but I didn't looking, I I can only see how close she was to death now that I'm older. And I think it was, it was good um, for me to not, you know, necessarily be that scared and that close to it as a high schooler. But now, Um, but I would say, honestly, it made me not want to pursue medicine. Um, I don't, I don't know. I think it, it was something that I really, I always, or I wanted to do starting in high school, but I think it made me like kind of reevaluate. Yeah. Um, and so anyways, I went to college undeclared cause I was just, you know, thinking, let me see if there's anything else out there that, that would be a good career for me where I can help people maybe have a good work-life balance. I don't know. That's kind of what I was thinking. Um, but I think that, I was thinking, oh, if as a doctor, it's going to be 100% on me to figure it out. But I I came to this realization after, like much later, but I was like, you know, the people taking care of my sister, um, 
they like worked as a team. Like she had, she had nutritionist, she has physical therapist, she had occupational therapist, she had a cardiology team, a neurology team. Like it was not one person who fixed everything. It was a team. And that, I think that gave me a lot of comfort because I realized, you know, I will have lots of support as I go down this path to medical school. Yeah. That's great. So I think that reinforces something I've always told students. Don't go into medicine or really don't go into anything unless you feel like you have to, like like there's no other alternative for you or that that's really where God's calling you because it's a, it's a lifelong commitment, right? It's not, you know, you'll get a job at Walmart. You can switch and go work at the Home Depot if you want to. But if you go into mm-hmm. medicine, that's a significant investment of time and, and resources in your life. And so did you feel at some point that, that this was a calling for you, that you, you were supposed to do this? I did. Um, so as I said, I went in, I went to Sanford University, um, which I think it's, I was considering the Air Force Academy. I was considering a bunch of other schools and they kind of fell through or I withdrew my application. And so Sanford was kind of what was left. Um, and I'm, I've been super pleased with my choice to go to Sanford. Um, but anyways, I, I do feel like it was a calling and every, every time I went down another path, I just kept coming back to it. Um, at one point during college, I thought I wanted to be a nurse and then potentially become a CRNA. And I just kept coming back to like, I, I don't want to be a nurse. I've never even really thought about that. Um, I like, I want to build the pa- relationship or I didn't want to be a CRNA, um, cause I want to yeah. build like relationships with patients. Although nurses are, are incredible and I have so much respect yeah. for them. Um, I think what was holding me back was like, I didn't know if I was smart enough. And then two, I really want to be a wife and a mother. And I just, for some reason, I thought I can't do it because I don't think I can. And I don't think I can. And I think there was after my freshman year of or yeah, freshman year of college, I was just in some general ed classes. Like they were not challenging to me. And I I, I did a lot of socializing, which was fun. Yeah. Um, I would just like go to the cafeteria and sit for like six hours and talk to people. <laughs> and, and I was like, you know what? This is I want to engage my mind a little bit more than I have been. And then, um, so that, that kind of got my attention. Like I want to, I want to, I want to work hard. Like I, it brings me satisfaction too. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and then I just kind of, I think there was one week where like multiple people mentioned it to me and they had no idea I was thinking about it or like going back and forth. Yeah. Um, And I just kind of got to the point, I was like, this is so silly for me to plan my whole life um, based on a husband that doesn't exist, children that don't exist. And I just have to trust that God will give me what I need when I get there. And he has, he really has. Um, And so I just remember officially declaring biology. um, And that really, I felt a lot of peace whenever I did that. Yeah. Um, and then at Sanford, I have met some incredible, incredible mentors. Um, the faculty there have been like so helpful to me. And then just being in Birmingham, there's a lot of hospitals. University of Alabama at Birmingham had a lot yeah. of a lot of resources. And I got to shadow 
a lot of doctors through my church, which was pretty cool. And so he really did put great people around me to help me along this journey. That's great. So was there ever a time either when your sister was sick or, or when you were kind of wandering in your professional aspirations that you felt something like hopelessness or, or, or fear or any of those kinds of emotions? Did, did you struggle with, with maintaining your faith at any point? Yes. Okay. Two things. One during the pandemic, I did a little bit um, just because um it was, I mean, it was just a hard time for everyone, but like a lot, I, I'd seen news stories of a lot of Asian doctors and nurses being harassed. And so I was in the grocery store one time and just in my hometown and a lady screamed at me and I was very confused. And then I was like, Oh, she's probably screaming at me because I'm the only, I mean, just what she said, um, she's like, stop breathing on everything. And I was like, you know, there's a lot of people in this store breathing. Uh-huh. And then I saw her an aisle over and she said, you told me you're going to, she screamed for me, like screamed at me from down the aisle. And she was like, I told you to close your mouth and you're not doing it. And, and that was when I knew like it was me only. Uh-huh. And um, so that, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that it did make me kind of feel hopeless. I felt like, it made, it was the first time, like, I kind of realized, like, I am Asian. Um, that might seem kind of yeah. odd uh, yeah. to say, but I've been raised in a predominantly white Christian environment. And that was the yeah. first time I kind of, someone who didn't know me, like, made an attack on me, I guess. Yeah. And so that was really hard. Um, and I did feel, I just felt so unheard and unseen. And, um, I didn't know, I didn't know how to respond other than like silence. And so, um, I think it it, it gave me something to write about, uh, with the essays, (laughs) (laughs) but it was, it was a pretty impactful, impactful event for me, for sure. Um, and then actually I got into medical school after, off the wait list. And so just the whole process of applying to medical school um, was, it's just so competitive and so draining. And I did feel so hopeless. Um, I had a relationship end the, the day before my classes started senior year of college. And it just was not at all something I was expecting. Um, and then I found out, you know, at later at a later date um, that it was because this person like wanted a wife to stay at home and didn't mm-hmm. think that I could provide a stable family dynamic. And um, I did feel so hopeless. Like, I feel like that's one of the lowest points I had ever been um, in my life. Um, like my grades were kind of suffering and I felt like I was faking it. Like all that I, I mean, I would still go to class. I would still go to church and go to all the different events. But like, I knew deep down, like I might appear happy, but I'm not. And I'm so, I feel like I am questioning and I feel like I don't know what the future like it looks like. And that is terrifying to me. And honestly, just, I feel like for me, like faking how I feel and 
that just, that destroys me and just eats me up. I don't, I like to be like real and genuine. Yeah, authentic, um, yeah. And when I'm not, when I'm not able to be authentic, as you said, that just, I don't, I don't like, I don't like that version of myself. Yeah. Um, so anyways, just the ending of that relationship just really threw my whole senior year. And so I applied, I submitted a lot of my applications so late in the cycle, just because I was like, I, I kind of was like, I know that whatever I submit is not going to be my best work. So mm. it might be best for me to wait until I'm in a better headspace. So I, I did. Um, and so, yeah, I was rejected from a number and that's, that's normal just because the yeah. national acceptance rate for medical school is just incredibly low. And, yeah. and then I interviewed pretty late and then I was waitlisted for several months. And then I got in May 2nd, like two days after like national decision day. So I, I thought it was, uh, the cycle was over for me. And I talked to Dr. Sorensen about this extensively. And I was like, I was already like making plans to retake the MCAT and like what research jobs do I need to secure? Do I need to get a job as a patient care tech or stuff like that? I, I did feel extremely hopeless and just in every regard, I was like, you know, I, I thought that I was walking in obedience. So why are you taking away something? Asking God, I was asking God, like, why are you taking away something that really meant a lot to me? Like, I don't know. And I still don't know the, the full answer behind that. Um, but I feel like I have a whole lot more hope now. Um, just cause yeah. I've seen, I feel like God has taken care of me and he has, um, given me what I need when I need it. That's amazing. So, so unpack that for just a second. So when you, when you feel hopeless or worried or afraid, you're going through all that with your sister, you come through that, you're, you're kind of wandering a little bit with your, with your aspirations. And then you get in this relationship that seems like it may be a long-term relationship for you. And then that ends and, and mm-hmm. now you're confused about where you're going and what you're doing and all those things. And you felt hopeless and, and you encounter racism, which, I mean, I'm sorry, but but white men don't often encounter things like that. Um, yeah. And so I don't really understand. I'm, I'm very sorry that happened to you, but I haven't, it hasn't happened to me. So it, it, it's, it's interesting to hear. It's painful for mm-hmm. me to hear somebody, this wonderful young lady encountering that. Um, but so ha- what do you do, Maylin? What do you do? when you feel those things, because one thing that, that I didn't hear you say is that you ever quit. You never stopped. You never gave up. You never dropped out of school. So what do you do that moves you from hopelessness towards this more hopeful or happy place? what do you do? Okay. So I was thinking about this the other day when I was walking through all that happened with my sister, that was also a very, very hard time, but I think there, it was a hopeless time too. Um, there is a very big difference between how I handled that in high school versus how I handled it in college In yeah. in high school. I mean, I, I would say, um, I didn't really have like coping skills, the coping skills that I have now, but I remember like crying and being afraid because my mom was at the hospital with my sister. And then, my dad and I would go down to the hospital and visit her when we can. And we would just come back and like, I was still in high school. He was still working to support the family. And so it was just, and a lot of times, like we just needed to be 
like alone to recoup or whatever. But yeah. I remember crying myself to sleep and I was just, I was too, I felt hopeless, but I was too afraid to pray because in my mind, it was like a binary option. Like either she lives or she doesn't. And I don't want to pray yeah. for her to live because that would mean there's a possibility of her not living. And so wow. he, she did get better. And I think, I don't know. I, I, I wish that I, I wish I could say like I was on my knees cr- praying and crying out to God for her to heal. But that that's not the option that I took um, because I was kind of afraid to pray. I don't know if that makes sense. It does. It makes perfect sense. Um, but then in college, when I was feeling very hopeless, well, one, I had a lot of great friends who spoke into my life and encouraged me. But I listened to a lot of worship music. That's how I fell asleep every night. I was like, I just, I want to hear something positive and I want to hear like the truths of God being declared. If, and if I don't, like I'm going to be thinking and worrying and just playing the conversations and playing the different scenarios out in my mind. And so I listened to, um, lay it all down. I can't remember who it's by like many, many times. And there's another song. Um, you keep on getting better by yeah. Maverick City, and then there are a few others that I just heard, and I, they were sort of like on repeat. And so, um, and that also was like I don't know that I have the words to pray in college. I didn't feel like I had the words to pray. I didn't really know exactly what to specifically pray for, but I knew I could listen to worship music and or podcast, wow. and so. Wow, that's it. You've said some things in there that that reflect the wisdom beyond your years. It's, it's reflects. I don't know uh, about that. Well, it does. It reflects good upbringing from your parents and, and good mentoring from Christians you've been around. But and and somehow how God put you together. But but one thing you said reminded me of uh, Mark Brogab, who wrote one of the best books I've ever read about lament prayers and how to hand, handle hard times by turning mm-hmm. towards God. He said, "Hope springs." from truth rehearsed hope springs from truth rehearsed and that's what you just said it when you listen to worship music you found something that you knew to be true when mm-hmm. your life was making you doubt the things that you believed right and you and you held on to those things in my new book that's that's one of the concepts we talk about is something that I call prehab which is this idea of constantly putting things in your head and in your heart that are true that you can call on when life makes you doubt. And so that's exactly what you were doing. You were already a self brain surgeon. You just didn't know it yet. So I love it. So, and, and then you kept moving. So you, you hit these hard things, Maylin, and you, and they won't be the last hard things you go no. through. You know, there'll be other relationships and other hard times. And I can promise you when you get into medical school, there's going to be days when you don't think you're smart enough and you don't think you're talented enough. And then you'll find a specialty that you're interested in and you'll doubt that you're going to be able to get into it and, and all that. I can mm-hmm. tell you from, from, pursuing neurosurgery that like, like I never in a million years thought I was good enough to be selected for neurosurgery training. And I doubted it every second until I got the letter, you know, <laughs> and still some days I doubt that I'm smart enough to be a neurosurgeon, but, but it's going to happen to you again. And you've built yourself a several years long, a lifetime long um, process that you can call back on. That's why I always say hope is a verb. It's memory. I've been through this hard thing and that hard thing and this hard thing, and that's how I made it through. But it's also movement, which is what you did. You kept moving and you didn't say it, but I asked you a while ago, what did you do? One thing she did, friend listening, is she reached out to other people 
who might be able to help. And she reached out to us. She reached, I'm sure, to, to lots of other people and said, hey, how, how can I navigate this? Well, so reach out to smart people and, and people who have been through things before. That, and that can be a, what does the Bible say? A cord of three strands is not quickly broken, mm-hmm. right? We wrap ourselves in other people that can help. So is it okay to talk about for a second? So you told me earlier the doctor who took care of your sister. Can we talk about that for a second? Sure, yeah. Um, yes, Dr. It? Wellens. Dr. Wellens. He's been on this podcast before. That's right. Jay Wellens. And was that at Vanderbilt or was it at UAB? It was at Vanderbilt. Okay. So Jay Wellens, shout out to Jay if you're listening. And friend, if if uh, you remember a few months ago, Dr. Jay Wellens is a pediatric neurosurgeon who was a friend of mine. He is a friend of mine, but we were both in Alabama for a long time. And then he went to Vanderbilt and he's the chief there now. Um, and just a small world thing. So May Lynn attracted to medicine, uh, following kind of her heart towards medicine. And then her sister has a neurosurgical issue and, and she now knows two neurosurgeons. <laughs> who have both been on this podcast. So I love it. So it's amazing that Jay, that Jay was involved in your story and he's such That's a good, pretty cool. he's just such a gentleman and such a good guy. Mm-hmm. He, have you read his book by the way? My mom has it. She's not finished reading it. I would love to read it. And I also read Dr. Ben Carson's book in seventh yeah. grade. That's one of my all time favorite books. And then I read your, maybe that's what it was. I was looking for books by neurosurgeons, but neurosurgeons are just the best. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So, so you've, you've read Ben Carson and then you found me when you were in the eighth grade. And I have to say, there's a very small subset of seventh graders and eighth graders <laughs> who are seeking out books about neurosurgery. And that's amazing. I certainly wasn't, I was reading, you know, sports biographies when I was in the seventh grade. So I'm pretty impressed with you. And Lisa and I have just, we've had our eye on you and kind of been following you on Instagram and, and all along the way, we've been praying for you. And it's just such a joy, Maylin, to see you you know, just turning into this this young woman who's grabbing life by the tail. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. I I really appreciate it. I definitely think you're one of the people that that God put along my path to help me. Because I mean, I just as I'm reflecting over my college years, which yeah. weren't too long ago, but um, three months ago, three months ago. <laughs> There's people that I'm just like, I would not be where I am today without them. Like, even if they listened to me talk and, you know, just listened and didn't offer advice or they wrote recommendation letters or gave me the opportunity to shadow them. Like I, it's not something I did on my own at all. Um, it's, it's just, I can't not take all the credit or any of it, to be honest. Well, that's true for all of us. You know, every time I operate, I think about this idea of the shoulders that I'm standing on. You know, I have a a microscope, a half million dollar microscope that was invented by physicists and engineers. And and that goes all the way back to Leeuwenhoek, who invented the microscope in the first place. And and all those shoulders that give me the technology that I use and, and every technique that I use is taught to me by somebody who learned it from somebody else all the way back to Galen, you know, and just th- that's our life, right? We, we, we're a community. And, and uh, that's why I love having people on the podcast because all these stories coalesce and somebody out there may limb will take hope in your story. Somebody will, will find some nugget of what you said and that'll help them get through something hard that they're going through. So in that spirit, Give us a word today for somebody out there that might be hurting or going through something hard. What do you have to say to them as to what they should do next? I would just say what people told me, like, it will get better. 
Um, and one of my mentors gave me the verse, I think it's second Peter three, nine. And it says the Lord is not slow to keep his promises. The some count slowness, but yeah. is gracious. Um, I can't remember like the last part, but that's another thing that I just kept thinking of. Like the Lord has his own timing and it's going to be better than your timing. So even if you are in a really hard situation, um, just be patient because it will get better. At least I, I mean, I really believe that it will. And maybe put that verse and as your lock screen on your phone, just put it where you can see it and just remember like God is not slow. Like he's doing his own thing because he knows what he's doing. <laughs> That's right. Dale Margaret's the guy that built the house that we live in here on the river. Dale and Joe were on the show recently and he said, God is never late, but he is seldom early. <laughs> he comes when he's ready to. So good to talk to you today, Maylin. I'm so proud of you. Lisa and I are praying for you as you go through medical school and this whole community of folks will gather around to pray for you. And maybe we can come to your graduation or something someday. Aww, meet you in I, the would, flesh. I think it'd be cool to go out to Nebraska and shadow you and see Dr. Sorensen. So I don't that know. We'll a promise see. that we can keep. So if you decide you want to come out here, between me and Carolyn, we can definitely show you some patience and uh, that'd be amazing. Okay, that that'd would be, be awesome. <laughs> when you're ready for your clinicals, you hook us up with that. That's a promise. Okay. I, put it on, I put it on the podcast. That's a promise we can keep. Okay, that, uh, good. Carolyn Sorensen and I can get Malin in the clinic so or in the operating room. So that's great. God bless you, friend. It is so great to talk to you in real life and uh, can't change your life until you change your mind. Thanks for teaching us uh, how you've done it. Thank you. There you have it, friend, Maylin Dye with Everyday Hope for this week. What an inspiring story. You can overcome just about anything. Um, the generations behind us are solid. There are great Christian families out there raising their kids to have their heads on straight, and Maylin's one of them. There's a great future generation of doctors coming to take care of old folks like me when I get there. And I'm just encouraged and excited by her story. Uh, be praying for Maylin as she starts medical school in the fall. It is hard, uh, and it'll be the biggest challenge she's ever faced in academics. So be praying for her. We've got more great guests coming up on more episodes of Everyday Hope. I recorded three additional interviews yesterday that are going to be really inspiring for you, and I can't wait for you to meet those folks. But for now, I just wanted you to hear this great story and see how you can change your mind and you can change your life because there is a treatment plan, and hope, my friend, is the first dose. And the good news is you can start treating it today. Hey, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together via self-brain surgery, drleewarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarrenmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at TommyWalkerMinistries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, TommyWalkerMinistries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.